Today we are talking about buying a used superbike and this is part 2 of a two part series so if you haven't seen the first part I would recommend that you go and see that in that episode we talked about why you should be thinking about buying a used superbike we talked about the two kinds of used superbikes that you'll encounter in India one that was imported by the manufacturer themselves and one that was imported in some other fashion which is the subject of the podcast today in that podcast episode in episode 1 we also talked about how to evaluate a motorcycle to see that it's worth purchasing and how to complete the paperwork for an indian invoice motorcycle a motorcycle like i said which was imported by the manufacturer and now let's get straight into it and what i promise to tell you in this episode first is that there is one scam that does seem to happen sometimes uh, to motorcycles that were imported by manufacturers into india and that is we call it the invoice scam where the guy actually has to give you an invoice which the original owner usually gets sometimes it is possible for them to say that hey i don't have the invoice anymore because they used it to claim tax or whatever purposes but usually the owner will get an invoice from the dealership as he's purchasing the motorcycle that completes the process of it being imported into india and all the duties etc being paid now this invoice i have one for my ducati for example i have one for the tuono as well is something that the dealership maintains on its record and if you are buying a motorcycle that was imported into india by the manufacturer i highly recommend that you go back to the dealership and just check that the details on the invoices match and by that i mean invoice number to invoice number the motorcycle model names should be the same the last four digits of the vin number and the chassis number should be the same i say last four digits because the dealerships will obviously hesitate to give out the invoice itself because it contains personal information pertaining to the owner i did speak to the ducati guys in mumbai and they said that they do get these inquiries now and then what they will do is they'll call up the current owner of the ducati and say are you in the process of making a sale because somebody has asked to verify the invoice and if he says yes then there is no crisis at all uh, you can also prevent them from giving you any personal information by saying hey this is the registration number of the motorcycle can you verify from your record invoice that the vin number and the chassis number are this and this and the model of the motorcycle is this there should be no discrepancy here why this question is important is because it seems some people are clever enough to take actual invoices and alter some details in it and then pass it off as a motorcycle that was imported by say ducati or kawasaki or whatever into the country whereas actually it's a grey market motorcycle that comes from elsewhere and they're just showing you the invoice to try and get you over your fear that you're buying a grey market motorcycle which in fact you are in the process of evaluating motorcycles especially the more electronic ones you do need to rely on the company a little bit more than this also one thing is the service history and service history is a little bit weird because some manufacturers are super happy to let you see the service history some will not give you a print out because again personal information but they are quite happy to show it to you on a screen whereas other manufacturers just refuse to give you service history is so a little bit of a gray area but i think it's worth exploring but you go to the service center or the dealership or whatever and say hey look i am in the process of buying this motorcycle can you show me the service history if the owner of that motorcycle is with you this process usually goes quite a bit smoother the other reason to use the company is take a very electronic motorcycle to the dealership and ask them to run a diagnostic scan on it so that they will verify that all the systems are running okay and it checks out you will have to pay for this but absolutely pay because i think if you were to pay 10000 rupees to the mechanic for the privilege of getting your motorcycle checked and you pay another 3 4000 rupees for the diagnostic checks i don't think that's a bad deal in terms of ensuring that your motorcycle is okay Now we come to the tricky area of the grey market motorcycle, and Joshua Pastor has a very very clean idea about this. What he says is, look, if the motorcycle you are buying third, fourth, fifth hand, and it's already on Vahan and all the documentation is complete, chances are it's not illegal, so you don't really need to worry so much. But Zubin and Anand both say that the grey market motorcycle is such a weird uh, thing in terms of legality that you don't really want to be going there. And again. Parrift and I we both don't recommend you buy grey motorcycles at all. What you do verify is whether the motorcycle you are buying is legal or is it 
illegal grey and most grey motorcycles are illegal. Most people who have bought a grey motorcycle have tried to avoid paying the full duty at some point or the other and there's usually some amount of gochi involved. Right, so how do you avoid the gochi? If you're buying it brand new from a superbike dealer who's saying that look, I'll import the motorcycle and give you a motorcycle, uh, it can be quite cost effective. But then you're checking for things like the bill of entry, which is a customs document that says that the motorcycle has arrived in the country. The bill of entry has to say one motorcycle, uh, which is one unit motorcycle. If it doesn't say one unit motorcycle, it says one container motorcycle, then you have to match the weight. Because one container motorcycle is usually how motorcycles are brought to the country in parts. So a Hayabusa engine might arrive in one port, the frame might arrive in another port, the suspension might arrive somewhere else and then a guy puts it together and then fudges the paperwork and gives you a motorcycle that looks like a complete fresh brand new piece but when you start breaking it down you realize it's almost completely illegal and if you own one in theory you're falling foul of the Indian DRI or revenue laws and there might be a potential problem there, it's not a motorcycle that you want to buy. Again, remember, if you're buying the motorcycle fourth or fifth hand, you're probably not in so much trouble but if you're buying it brand new, do, do, do all the due diligence needed before you decide that this is the motorcycle you want to purchase. The thing about the grey market is obviously that these motorcycles are illegal but the process of importing these motorcycles technically is not. So uh, I've spoken to Anand and uh, Joshua about this and both say that look the Indian customs guys are not as terrible as everybody makes them out to be and if you were to go to them straight away and say that hey look I want to buy the new Yamaha R6, Yamaha doesn't sell the motorcycle in the country, I have the means to import the motorcycle from there, tell me what the paperwork is, they will actually give you a fairly clean and straightforward process of what's going to happen to your motorcycle. The only thing that you have to remember in this is that a brand new imported motorcycle attracts about 110-120% or duty whereas a used motorcycle attracts almost 300% of the duty and these duties are calculated based on the blue book which is a customs way to figure out the value of the motorcycle. It has nothing to do with what you bought the motorcycle for. So for example if I have a great friend in the United States who decides to give me a brand new or used Tuono, the value of the Tuono is not the fact that he gifted it to me, it's what the customs says it is based on their documentation and that's what all the calculations will be based on. So be clear about this when you import the motorcycle. Also, if you're importing a motorcycle under 800 cc's, then there is also a penalty clause, which is because it's not compliant with the 800 cc law in India. And that penalty is unfortunately discretionary, so it is unpredictable. If you're being a genuine customer and the customs guy on the other side is a genuine person, the duty may be very low, one or two percent of the transaction. On the other hand, if the guy figures out you're either a dealer who's going to sell this motorcycle off or he is a crooked person, then this thing can spiral into a little bit of a problematic situation. So again, if you're going to think about saying, you know what, I'll just get my own motorcycle, I can organize it, I'll go to Singapore or Dubai or whatever and buy a motorcycle and import it to myself, go ahead, it's, it's a doable process. Just remember, the more grey you introduce into the process, the worse it gets for you. Uh, staying clean might be expensive, but it is the fastest way to get your work done. I would basically tell you that stay away from grey market private import motorcycles unless you know the person uh, and we'll talk about how you get to know the person. If you know the person then it's okay. For example, in my R6's case, I know the guy who imported the R6 and when he sold it to me, I know that all the paperwork was complete, all the duty was paid and compared to the R6's that were imported at that time on the grey market, he paid almost 40 or 50% more and that's my confidence that my paperwork was complete so I have a completely legal R6 but most R6's on sale in the country unfortunately aren't. The reason to consider these grey market motorcycles are only two. One is you're not going to use them on the public road, in which case the fact that they're registered or not registered and all of that part of the legal structure doesn't really apply to you. So if I were to buy a motorcycle, a 600cc class motorcycle to go to the racetrack with, I don't really intend to register it because it's only going to be used on the track. In that case, as long as my customs paperwork is complete, I don't really worry about registration, insurance and all of those things because they are not applicable to this situation. The same goes for dirt bikes if you're going to take them to your farm and ride them exclusively off-road with never ever having the tire touch a public road, in which case it is flagrantly illegal.
but that's usually the smaller part of the picture the bigger part of the picture is gray market bikes are there uh, they are usually the best deals in terms of money so i mean uh, i was given an example saying if a new hayabusa is 15 16 lakh rupees like showroom you could get a gray market hayabusa for 11 or 12 uh, don't take me very seriously in the terms of the numbers these are just indications it's the nature of the market they never give you precise numbers but my point is is it worth saving the 3 lakh rupees in my book it's not Next, we come to the question of off-road motorcycles, which is a juicy subject because more and more Indians seem to be showing interest in off-road motorcycles, and there aren't any to be legally available in India now. Josh is probably more experienced than the other two gentlemen at this because he has his own WR450 and he's been helping a lot of his friends out in getting dirt bikes going. And he says that the easiest way to get a dirt bike into the country is to import a enduro-style motorcycle from Europe. By enduro-style, he means it already has headlights and indicators added by the manufacturer to the motorcycle there, and therefore it will have a type approval certificate as well. So technically, you're importing a road-legal dirt bike into India, and therefore it can be registered easily. That's how you do a registered legal dirt bike. They do turn out expensive. Okay, so I was given an indication of seven to fifteen lakh rupees, depending on what you're purchasing, is how wide the budget can be. If you're buying a used dirt bike, though, you have to be super careful because dirt bikes do get bashed about, and dirt bikes do get uh, what, what we like to call thuppattied, which means they will use parts of other motorcycles to try and fix the problems and get the motorcycle to continue to run. Not always a bad idea, but not something that you want to take on in your adventure with that motorcycle. So uh, be careful. Anand Dharmaraj says very categorically that most dirt bikes you see with the number plates on are some level of illegal or not, and you have to be comfortable with that if you're going to go into that rabbit hole. Joshua, on the other hand, says that if the dirt bike already has plates and appears on Vahan, then some of the background work that you'll have to deal with is already done. It's not such a bad deal. But if you see a dirt bike that is being sold to you without the number plates already on, be sure that it's probably illegal in a thousand million ways, and you're not going to be able to get it to run on the public roads without incurring a lot of penalties and chasing the authorities down to convert it into something legal. It can be done, but it's not worth it. You just find a plated bike instead. The finally, I started asking these guys. I said, "Okay, I understand the universe of how to buy a big motorcycle, but how do I start the process of buying a big motorcycle?" And they all said the same thing, saying, "To get a sense of what's happening outside in the market, start at Facebook classifieds. They are probably the most reliable because usually the posts are by people or dealers. Uh, below that are OLX and Quicker, where who's posting that is a little bit harder to trace." Don't take the prices that they put as written in stone because those are usually negotiable prices and they are usually inflated a little bit, knowing that we will want to uh, what we call lowball and we'll got to show up and say, oh, you think this motorcycle worth ten lakhs? I'll give you six lakhs and the negotiation starts from there. But it gives you an idea of what's on sale, what kind of prices they command, and where the motorcycles are. Once you're doing this process, I would also recommend that think about why you want to buy the motorcycle. We I get a lot of questions that say, "Hey, I want to buy a motorcycle that I'll use well, not really for commuting. Big bikes can't commute. Uh, I want it for weekend rides, and I want to go out on a tour once a year." Honestly, every motorcycle in the big bike universe will do that with various levels of ease or difficulty, but it can be done. It needs to be a little bit more specific than that. So, for example, if you do intend to go to the racetrack even once or twice a year, you are looking at something more like a sports bike. Even if you don't want to go off-road, if you want to go do a lot of touring, ADVs actually make fantastic tours. Sport nakeds can also make fantastic tours, but they're not as easy to ride in India as ADVs because our road conditions vary. So I would say first figure out the format that you really want to work with, and then figure out which motorcycle in there takes your fancy, and you want the motorcycle you fancy, not the motorcycle you can afford. The reason why I say this is because if you end up with a motorcycle that you can afford but you don't really love. You'll enjoy the big bike experience, the extraordinary power, and all of those things for the first five, six, eight, ten months. And after that, you sort of fall out of love with it, and then you want to move on and get something else. 
you're not going to lose as much money as you would if you had bought the motorcycle new, but you would still lose some amount of money and you could just avoid that by focusing on what really attracts you to the motorcycle. So if you're attracted to the V-Strom, that's the motorcycle to get, not the Versus because it's cheaper. You should be getting the Versus because that's the motorcycle you wanted in the first place. There is a little bit of who do you buy from also involved in this? Do you go to dealers or do you do a private sales? And I have an even split between the gentlemen where Zubin and Anand both believe that private sales are safer. Uh, you sit across the table from the seller and you do the deal human to human as it were. Joshua says, look, dealers should not be discounted because if the dealers had a shop for 20 years, he's obviously done something right. He can't be a total con because he wouldn't survive in the business for 20 years by conning one person after the other. So there are both sides of the picture. In both cases, you have to do your due diligence and you have to have an incorruptible mechanic on your side. And by incorruptible, I've heard stories of mechanics who will show up and they'll tell the buyer that, look, give me 10,000 rupees, I'll evaluate your motorcycle. But when they show up to see the motorcycle, they'll also tell the seller, look, give me 5,000 rupees, I'll tell him it's great. Okay, so you do want somebody you trust implicitly and that is the key to the kind of person you want to bring with you for the second opinion. Now, good bikes to buy. Uniformly, the Japanese bikes seem to be the good bike to buy. Everybody says, hey, look, if you're buying a used bike, try and get a Japanese motorcycle. Uh, the reason is over a long period of time, they last better. More importantly, their parts are both cheaper and easier to find. This is not true for Kawasaki, according to Josh. He says everything else, Yamahas, Suzuki's and Hondas are very easy to find parts for. It's not a crisis. The Japanese also seem to share quite a bit of parts across motorcycles. So, for example, the R15 indicator is exactly the same indicator as that goes on the R1. So, there are a lot of part sharing which makes life quite convenient. But if you're looking at Kawasaki's, be a little bit extra cautious for two reasons. One, their parts are a little bit more expensive than the other Japanese brands. And Josh's experience says that on the international markets, if you're trying to order parts, Kawasaki parts are usually back-ordered longer and their parts are a little bit more or quite a bit more expensive depending on the part than the other Japanese items. Uniformly, the bikes that they're saying be careful about buying are the Italian and European motorcycles. Not that they're more troublesome to own, but they're usually more electronic, the parts are more expensive, the service is more expensive, and so far their service networks are smaller than the Japanese service networks generally. So it's a little bit more of a challenge to buy uh, Italian motorcycles than Japanese motorcycles on the used bike market. That said, my personal perspective is I go with motorcycles based on emotion and I find that the European motorcycles are generally a lot more emotional, a lot more powerful in that way than the Japanese motorcycles. There are exceptional Japanese motorcycles. Uh, the CB 500X is one. Unfortunately, it's not on sale in India yet. I believe it's coming, but it's not on sale in India yet. The Africa Twin is actually a very, very enjoyable, lovable motorcycle. You'll enjoy owning that motorcycle. The Versus is like that. The Ninja 1000 is like that. But Think about these motorcycles. The three motorcycles I was given clearly as usually exceptional deals are Z800s. I believe they started as low as 5 lakh rupees. You can find very, very good uh, Z800s. They're usually overlooked because the Z800 presents as a heavy motorcycle with quite a bit of power, but the heaviness takes the power away from you. But a sprocket, a little bit of tuning and a cleanup and Z800s can be very nice to own. The Versus is another motorcycle that's underrated on the used market. And ZX10Rs are some of the cheapest leader class motorcycles you can buy on the market. Remember, Kawasaki's are generally slightly more European in terms of the service cost and parts cost. So you do have to account for that when you buy it. The safest motorcycle I would recommend that you buy if you're entering this market is probably going to be the CBR650R. It's got an inline four, it's got just on 100 BHP. It looks like a proper big Honda motorcycle, but it doesn't have fully committed ergonomics. It's not going to be stupidly difficult to ride even on a tour. So to me, that's the kind of motorcycle that I would say that you should start from. But again, the world is your oyster. Go with your emotion. Remember, some motorcycles will be difficult to live with those motorcycles should be emotionally very powerful some motorcycles will be very easy to live with 
and that has advantages but if you don't feel a connection to it i promise you in 2 or 3 years you want to sell that motorcycle and move on to something that excites you quite a bit more now the prices to expect is the juiciest part of this discussion and the reason why we are talking about this in the first place so everybody i spoke to said look the numbers aren't precise and they vary from city to city to city but they all came to the same conclusion that in the first year the motorcycle will lose almost 20 to 30% of its value think about that that means that if i buy say a 20 lakh rupee motorcycle today by the end of that year that motorcycle will be 2 to almost 3 lakh rupees cheaper than what the showroom value was assuming it's in mint condition a motorcycle that's been used a little bit has high mileage on it will be even lower i asked zubin casually saying okay so my ducati is 40 6000 kilometers old uh, 3 years and 5 months and it's about 5 6 months away from uh, the extended warranty etc everything getting over uh, i paid 20 lakhs for it and i will barely get 10 lakhs for it now so that's the kind of severe price drops that you can see by the third or the fourth year the motorcycles are down to 40 50% of the original cost in many cases and usually they don't really fall drastically after that So once that the twenty lakh rupee motorcycle has become a ten lakh rupee motorcycle, it's not going to fall to five anytime soon. It will depreciate slowly after that, become you know nine, eight, seven, but it not fall to five immediately. And I also asked saying, what is the right place to buy this motorcycle? And Anand and uh, Zubin both said try and buy new. So you're going to get as as close to a new motorcycle as possible, and the gain that you have is about twenty to thirty uh, percent on the value of a new motorcycle. Your advantage is almost new means you might get a motorcycle with as little as three hundred kilometers or two thousand three thousand kilometers. And honestly, these engines that kind of mileage doesn't even make any difference at all. So you get what is effectively brand new. It will have some parts and stuff already on it, and that's a great deal. Anand also pointed out that don't discount much older motorcycles in this because the way Indian superbike owners tend to ride their motorcycles, they don't really put a lot of mileage and wear and tear on the motorcycles. So even if the motorcycle is five or six years old, if it's mechanically okay, then you should be okay to own the motorcycle, and you'll get like fifty percent off on the showroom cost of the motorcycle, which is a massively good deal. I remind you again of what I said in episode one: you are going to need to set aside almost a lakh of rupees a year to be able to keep this motorcycle running. That's insurance, that's tires, that's sundry expenses, and one to two services a year. Don't forget that if you can't afford this one lakh rupees, taking on an EMI and bringing the motorcycle is of no use because worst case scenario, you crash the motorcycle, and now you're stuck because you can either afford the EMI or you can afford the repair. The EMIs don't stop, and that means the repair has to. And suddenly, you're out of a motorcycle for three or four months while you try and get your finances together so you can pay the repair bill. It's not a pleasant situation to be in, and it's not pleasant, and it is avoidable. I mean, you can just avoid doing this to yourself by waiting another three, four, five, six months, whatever it takes to get the financial wherewithal to support that motorcycle going. Okay, in that sense, buying a brand new ZX 10R or buying a three-year-old ZX 10R, the expenses of living with that motorcycle are not significantly different from each other. So your entry point into the big bike universe might be lower, but the expenses of staying in that universe are still going to be roughly the same so you do need to be able to afford to keep the motorcycle if you're going to buy the motorcycle and enjoy it the motorcycles that are harder to buy are usually the higher electronic motorcycles the more electronics there is the more it is possible to hide a fault the more you need to go back to the company and get them to run diagnostics and verify that the motorcycle is going okay so if you're going to go into this for the first time and you want a hassle free experience you want the motorcycle to have as few electronics as possible the exception to this is a motorcycle that you know personally has run very well you know the owners and all of that that is a good way to do it and i was told by all three that the whatsapp groups where you know bike owners generally talk to each other are usually where the good deals are because there are people who know each other either directly or via via and they are talking to each other about buying and selling their each other's motorcycles and that's usually a good way to do it 
The final question is what do you do once you bought the motorcycle and brought it home? And that does not change much. It will be the subject of a much larger podcast later. But I would say do two or three things. One is figure out where the crash protection is at. Since you're buying a used motorcycle, chances are it's already got crash protection on it. You don't need to really do much. The second thing I would do is get folk seal covers. Uh, I prefer to use Krieger's folk seal covers. You can look them up online. They're on all my motorcycles from brand new. Uh, and they're impeccable in the sense that I've never had a folk oil seal leak on any of my new motorcycles, which have worn those seals from day one. They simply prevent the muck that would normally come on the stanchion and cut your oil seals. That whole process just disappears. The final part of the process is as soon as it comes in, it goes in for a service. And I would say do a comprehensive service, get it checked end to end, get all the bolts retalked, all of that gets done. I would go so far as to change the brake fluid so that I know the brake fluid's age exactly. I would change the fork fluid so that I know the age of the fork fluid exactly. I would also change the engine oil and the filter and possibly the air filter as well if it's looking anything less than minty new. That gives you a baseline to start your experience on a motorcycle that is as close to new feeling as possible. The final question that we normally get asked is, you know, in the classifieds, you'll see that, hey, I have a Harley Davidson. Uh, it costs 15 lakh rupees to buy, but I've got six lakh rupees of accessories on it. What's the value of those accessories? Not a lot, honestly. Most people will say you will pay nothing more than 30% of the value of those accessories with very, very rare exceptions like lights and stuff which don't really deteriorate that much with age. So auxiliary lights like Baha Designs or something, you might pay a little bit more than 30%. But the rest of it, you don't pay at all. And this is presuming that the owner has the original parts with him and he's going to give you those parts as well. If he's not going to give you those parts or doesn't have access to those parts, then you don't even want to pay 30% for those accessory bits, whether it's the exhaust, it's some underlighter kit or some screen or any of these things. These are not valued items that you pay for. This is just stuff that's on the motorcycle. I would be particularly cruel. So if I were to see this fully decked out motorcycle, I would tell him that, look, I want it returned to stock and that's how I'd like to take the motorcycle from you so that I can customize it to what I want that motorcycle to do for me rather than whatever your taste in motorcycling is. I'm not judging you, but I certainly don't want your flavor of motorcycling. I would like this to go back to base and then I would like it to slowly evolve into my flavor of motorcycling. Okay, so the accessories are not really a big part of the picture. In any case, a lot of owners quickly caught on to the fact that it is better for them to return the motorcycle to stock. It's a safer purchase for the buyer and they're able to sell the parts of one at a time and probably make a little bit more money than they would have if everything remained with the motorcycle. So the accessories itself is not a big deal, no matter what they've done to the motorcycle and how much accessorization has happened, that's not something you really want to be paying extraordinary amounts of money for it. The bargaining idea that I was given was about 30%. So to summarize this entire thing, First recommendation, stay away from grey market motorcycles, stick to motorcycles that were imported in India by the manufacturer, be aware of the invoice scam and just ensure that you make that phone call to ensure that you're not being scammed into buying a motorcycle that appears to have been legally imported was actually a grey import. Two, just don't do grey imports at all. Three, I would recommend find a really trustworthy mechanic that you can work with, not just for this transaction itself, but in general, they're super, super helpful to have on your side. But for the transaction, pay them the five or 10,000 rupees that they want plus transport expenses or whatever, pay them that money, get them to give you an honest primary or second opinion, depending on who you are as to whether you're buying a good motorcycle or not. Fourth, pay attention to the paperwork, ensure that the paperwork is clean. If there are any hitches in the paperwork, just walk away. There will always be on the motorcycle that you can buy. It might not be on sale today, but it will be on sale six months from now. So it's not really that big a deal. Don't get suckered into being so emotionally involved with a motorcycle that you've just seen that it causes you to lose sight of reason. Next, 
take your time about doing the inspection, both the static one, the warm one, and then on the motorcycle before you verify that yes, everything seems to be in place. Accessories, you roughly pay 30% of whatever they've done. You'd never ever pay more than that, except for stuff like lights and stuff, which again, you can, in theory, if you don't want them, sell them on the market and make some money back later, etc. And finally, uh, when you bring the motorcycle home, give it a full service. That's all there is to it. Thank you so much for watching. I wish you the best of luck. Big motorcycles are some of the most exciting things you'll do with your life. A used big motorcycle is a very, very economical way to get into that system. Remember, the cost of ownership doesn't come down because you bought a cheap motorcycle. It remains where it was. Account for that so that you can afford to ride this motorcycle happily. But I promise you this. We start our motorcycle careers thinking about riding a big, fast motorcycle into the sunset. Buying a used big bike is one of the easiest ways to do this in terms of the money that is required to do it. Uh, just be careful when you do it. There's no reason for you to not think about it and explore it. And remember, until you decide to pay the money, there is no pressure on you to pick up a motorcycle. So feel free, explore the world, explore the market and see where you fall. I wish you the best of luck and I hope you get the motorcycle of your dreams. Either new or used, it doesn't matter. The fact is you're on a motorcycle that you dreamt about and that's worth living for. Thank you so much for watching. This is the Part of Podcast. My name is Shumi. Please remember, we do actively respond to all of our uh, viewers in terms of questions. So if you leave us a comment, we will respond to you. If you can't get it done here, leave us a DM on our Instagram at PowerDrift. We will respond to you. Subscribe to this channel because we have a lot more content like this coming at you, content you can use. Uh, hit subscribe, hit the bell notification so that when the new video goes up, you can see what's going on. And if you'd like to tell us about your experience of buying a used superbike, if it's in line with what we explained or very different from what we explained, do leave us a comment. It will be nice to have fresh perspective. Thank you so much for watching.